This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. You know, I was talking to the, the praise team earlier um, about that song, and it's one of those songs that you sing it, you think afterward, do I really mean that? Do we really believe that it would really be better to be in his courts than in the thousand other elsewheres that we spend our time? I would like to think for many of us that would be the case. Um, but I think as we reflect this morning and we look at God's word, we're going to see that sometimes our life doesn't line up with that. We become a little bit too content in the elsewheres and we fail to see the beauty of his courts, to look expectantly towards it. We're going to be in Matthew 25 this morning, verse 1 through 13. You know, the last few months, back in December, we celebrated um, the birth of Christ. Um, this past Sunday, we celebrated uh, Christ's resurrection. And here's what we're going to think about today, is are you ready for his return? Either him coming back, to meet us, or if you were to leave this earth today, would you be ready to meet him? Matthew 25, verse 1 says this. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept, but at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. The wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, Go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Let's pray. Father God, as we have gathered here together today, uh, first off, we come empty in ourself. None of us in this room, Father, is worthy. Um, none of us in this room uh, could do anything to make ourselves right with you. 
but we understand, Lord, that you have provided us a way to be right with you and that that way is through you, Jesus. And Jesus, we do believe that one day you will return. And Father, my prayer is this morning for myself and every single other person in the room that you would make it abundantly clear the need to be ready. That being right with you is not something to push off, but it's something to deal with directly. Convict where conviction is needed, cut deep where cutting deep is needed, challenge where challenge is needed, and just humble us, Lord. Keep us humble before you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. I was thinking back this past week, many of you may remember back in August of 2020, it was when we had a tropical storm that was coming up through our area, and um, it was the night of August 3rd, the storm had kind of begun to come through, and I remember watching the weather forecast, and they said there was going to be an increased threat of tornadoes in the overnight hours. And so I can remember Brittany and I, and Karis was only a few months old, we were living over here in the the old elementary school, and uh, we were in a room with these huge windows and said, I don't want to be in that room if a tornado comes through. So I said, Brittany, I'm going to get my phone. I'm going to turn the alarm all the way up so that if a storm does come, they said there was a threat, but if that threat came to fruit, I wanted to know. Now, as you remember, at about 3.15 in the morning on August 4th, those warnings did start blaring through. And of course, we had couple of those tornadoes that came right through our downtown area, literally within only a few hundred yards of where we're sitting right now. But as soon as that alarm started ringing, I woke up, Brittany woke up, we got Karis up, I turned on the, the weather, it says downtown Suffolk, you got 15 or 20 minutes begin to take cover. It says, this is a particularly dangerous situation. The tornado is on the ground. It's coming your way. So I was getting stuff together. We got Karis. We got her stuff. We started calling as many people as we could think because the middle of the night, people aren't ready. Maybe their alarm wasn't on. Maybe they didn't know the storm was coming. There was a great danger. We were taking steps to be ready. And thankfully, we found ourselves to be ready. Now, I want to read a couple texts here this morning before we we jump into Matthew 25, which is where we're really going to camp out today. Um, And these texts I'm about to read are reflecting upon Christ's return and what we're to do with that. The first is from 1 Thessalonians 4.16, which says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Christ's return, friends, is going to be authoritative. And get this, it will be grasped by all. There will be no denial. There will be no passing it over. Everyone will know who he is upon his return. The next text that I would like us to read is from Matthew. And this is from Matthew 25, 31 through 34. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But then verse 41, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me. You cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Christ's return is going to also be definitive. When he returns, those that are in him will be brought near to him for refuge. Those that denied Christ will be cast away into darkness. There will be no second chances. It will be definitive. He will come back as righteous judge. And here's the the last one to, to consider here this morning is Matthew twenty four forty four. This is simple. This is our focus really for this morning. Therefore you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. That's what it simply gets down to this morning. Are you ready? If Christ Jesus were to return today, would we be ready for his return? Or, God forbid, if any of us in this room were to leave this earth today and come, into the face, come face to face with Jesus Christ, would we be ready to meet him? You know, as I began thinking about this this past week, you know, I also began thinking, if Christ were to return today, what would he find us doing? What would he find our lives consumed with? You know, I would like to think for many of us he would find us growing in him, faithful to him, seeking to love others and be sacrificial in the way we live, selfless, humble, about his kingdom work, making disciples, living to his glory. But if we were to be honest with ourselves, I think far too often we would probably find otherwise. You know, I fear for far too many of us we would be found within the weeds of the culture that we live in. Maybe it would be found spending one of the three plus hours we spend every day in front of a TV on average. Maybe the four plus hours we spend in front of our, our phones each, each day. And as I was studying that, you know, I work with teenagers a lot. For some teenagers, we see anywhere between six to eight hours spent in front of a screen all day, mindlessly scrolling on social media, not engaged. Perhaps he might would find us in the enslavement to the approval of others, trying to impress the next person, trying to get the next big gain, the next dollar, finding validation that will hopefully make us ourselves feel as if we truly belong. Maybe he'd find us knee-deep in the elements of leisure that we enjoy, Sports, hobbies, vacation. Maybe it's we haven't understood the fact that much of that we've allowed to kind of become religion in our life, treating it either as the ticket to the best future for our kids or maybe just simply the escape from the way of the world which bears down upon us. And here's what's happening far too often. We're chasing after satisfaction in the temporal instead of deepening our foundation independence upon the eternal. Now, we're reaping what we sow. How do we know that? I mean, you can look around. The elements of mental illness, depression, anxiety, suicide, substance abuse, addictions, all on the rise. COVID 
made that even more exasperated. As we became more removed from, from society and people closed themselves in, we saw those things begin to rise as well. And all along, what we're seeing is commitment within the local church, spiritual growth, discipleship, just simple decency, meekness, humility, lasting fruit, fading away. But it shouldn't surprise us because when our dedication to worldly affairs is so widespread, it shouldn't surprise us when our spiritual growth and fruitfulness is lacking. And that got me thinking this past week, you know, could it be that the way we spend our time and energy would find Christ's return more of a shocking interruption rather than an expected reward? If we were honest with ourselves, the way we live our life, it would probably, for many of us, be more of a shocking interruption instead of an expected reward that we can truly look forward to. And that leads us to this morning's text, which I really think is a great picture of how we can kind of work through what we just talked about. There's going to be some keys that I think we can see this morning to, to what does it look like to live ready for Christ's return. First one will be is living with the expectation of his coming. You know, first we've got to expect he's coming, right? It can't just be something we stumble into. There's got to be expectation. We'll see about preparation for his coming. You know, just like in that instance back in 2020 when I had to take preparations for when that storm was, was coming through, we today need to be taking preparations to have our eyes fixed upon the Lord. The third thing we'll see is we'll, we'll kind of look at the mobilization upon his coming. When he returns, what will that look like? And we will see the definitive nature of that moment of mobilization. There won't, any, won't be any wishy-washiness he will come back in a sudden, and as I mentioned, you either know him or you won't. And then the final one we'll see is, is the consummation after his coming. That meaning, once he comes, what is to be within the future? We'll see the fact that those that are found to truly be in Christ will be with him in that great banquet for eternity, worshiping and praising him, and being reunited with the one that we were made in the image of, meant to glorify. And we'll see those that will be standing at the door knocking. Hey, but let me in too. Don't you remember me? I lived a pretty good moral life. I went to church a lot of times. He'll say, I never knew you. So we're going to see this morning, I really think, the key is to understanding what does it look like to be ready. Now, the first thing that we'll see here is, is the expectation. Now, Looking at Matthew 25, which we read a few minutes ago, this is a parable. You know, I love reading these accounts of Jesus' parables because I'm an illustrative mind. I don't know if you guys are, but I like when someone's teaching me a lesson to use an example or a story. And in simple form, like that's kind of what a parable is, right? He's using something that is truly... And a story that would connect with the people he's talking to to make a transformational point. And that's what we see is happening here. And in this instance, what we see him using is the example of a wedding. Now, mind you, a wedding, uh, a first century Jewish wedding would not be like a wedding we would consider today. 
right? It's not just like, hey, let's get engaged and then we'll get married at some point. You'd have the, the fathers coming together to arrange the marriage. Then there would be what would be known as a, a betrothal stage where at that point they would enter into a legal binding commitment that was not meant to be broken. And then what would the husband go off to do? He would go off to prepare, right? Get the house in order, get his money in order, and then once the house was in order, what was he going to do? Who was he coming for? He's coming for his bride. And when he comes for his bride, oftentimes that would happen within the night. You'll see reference here to, to lanterns that are being used, or it could be like a torch, and there would be a great wedding party. You can think about the ones that we're talking about here, these ten virgins kind of being, or like bridesmaids, um, and the groomsmen, they would all come together, and then they would walk back to this place that had been prepared. There would be a celebration that would take place. Sometimes that could last a number of days, maybe even up towards a week. And then after that, that would be the wedding banquet. Then you would see the consummation of the marriage. This here, though, is talking about that period between the betrothal and the marriage banquet, right? Showing the awaiting of the groom to come and seeing whether or not the bride is ready. And that's what it gets down to today. And really, when we think about this first verse here, um, when it comes to the expectation, you see here, first, you've got to know Jesus. You know, just as in a in first century Jewish life, you know, you couldn't have the marriage until you have the betrothal, right? We have to be submitted and surrendered to him. We have to be submitted and surrendered to him because there will be no life of ex expectation of Christ's return without our lives first being submitted and surrendered to him. And when we look here, you see these ladies, they're being prepared, they're getting ready to meet the bridegroom, and there's an expectation that is present because there is a submission that is had. Now, in the room today, we could find ourselves, and I'm sure we find ourselves in different places. There's some of you in the room today, you've surrendered your life to Christ, you're seeking to live your life for Him, and you're seeking to put Him first daily, and you really are trying to live expectant of His return. Now, there's some others of you here today, and we'll talk about this in the next point in the preparation. You may seem to be living expectant of His return, but at the end of the day, your life is not bearing fruit. The outside maybe looks clean, but the outside's not what's, what matters. What matters is the heart. And then there's some others in this room, you may not be in Christ. You may be interested. You maybe have pondered it a few times before, but you've never placed your, your faith in Christ. So at the beginning, here's what it gets down to. You being able to share in this great banquet in this great union with Christ upon his coming or upon your meeting of him hinges upon have you surrendered your life to him? Have you submitted to him? That's the expectation that we see present. But then we have to think about the preparation. So when we look here at the expectation, yes, there's a submission, but was the submission true submission? Were these ten virgins, bridesmaids, were they living truly prepared? Were they really serious? 
about following after him. Now we see here in, in, in verse 2, it says, five of these were foolish, but then five of these were wise. It's a group of people, much like the group of people we have in here today. Some are wise, are getting their house in order, are prepared and expectant of the coming, being prepared. Some are not. It says there in verse, verse 3, the foolish took their lamp. So they had a lamp, but what were they missing? They didn't have the oil. It says it there at the end of verse 3, they took no oil with them, but here's the difference. The wise took a flask of oil with their lamps so that when that groom came in the middle of the night, they would be ready to get their oil out, trim that lamp, get that fire started, and be ready to enter into that processional following after the groom. The others, as we'll see later on, they weren't taking the steps to prepare. And when he comes, they're going to be like, hey, uh, can I get some of your oil? They were trying to bum it off of, off of someone else. Now, as I began to think about these preparations, I, it kind of struck me. I was thinking... Well, what does it look like to live prepared for his return? If you're anything like me, I'm a very rigid mind sometimes. I'm very mechanical in my processes when it comes of like me, my spiritual disciplines in my life, like prayer and reading God's word. I easily can drift towards efforts-based living, meaning I got to do these things to get ready and I want to make sure I have God's attention. I want to make sure I've been doing the right things. But that's not what this is a picture of. You think, look up here, these are not preparations that are made in order to be seen. These are preparations made with the understanding that we are seen. A readiness based within a life abiding within Christ. We're not making preparations. Boy, I sure hope he comes. I hope he didn't forget about me. I hope he didn't find somebody else that he found to be more attractive or, you know, more personal than I am. No, we're basing our life understanding that Jesus is going to come for the faithful. He will not let us go. He is the weight. He is our holiness. He is our righteousness. He is our purity. I don't have to make myself pure, make myself righteous, make myself holy. No, my preparation is I just want to get with him. I want to see him as my refuge, as my hiding place. That's what that preparation, there was an expectation. Hey, I know where he's at. He's gone, and Jesus says it. He says it within the gospel. I've gone to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back. It's living with the thought, this earth is not my home. He has gone to prepare a place for me. And I want my life to be bound within him. I was thinking about 2 Corinthians 5.1. I love the book of 2 Corinthians. It says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Far too many of us, we're not prepared because we're becoming too concerned with the things that are wasting away. We're consuming ourselves over jobs. We're consuming ourselves over family affairs, we're consuming ourselves over leisure and hobby. It's all about making the next dollar, just trying to make it. When, when it's all said and done, those things will fade. Those things will waste. I love how Paul says it. He says, we have a building from God, 
a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens, a place prepared. It can't be broken into. It can't be stolen away. So there's a preparation for his coming. We want to live expectant. The only way you can be expectant is that if you're in Christ, and once you're in Christ, you're not trying to, boy, I really hope I stay in him. I really hope he keeps a hold of me. Now you're saying, I'm living expectantly and I'm preparing as if he does hold me. I'm preparing knowing that he has gone to prepare a place for me. And that leads us here to the third point, which would be the mobilization. So we see they know the groom's coming. Some of them have been just moseying around into worldly affairs. And some have been preparing and getting their oil ready for their lamps. Verse 5 says this, As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they slept. You know, it's interesting here that he mentions this idea of delay. And he mentions this elsewhere in 25:19 in the in the next parable he mentions about now after a long time the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. There's a mention of delay, a mention of long there being a long time. Um, there's an extended period of time that will be lived through before Christ does return. Now these disciples, they were, you know, once he would die and be buried and then rise again and then meet with them and then ascend to be with the Father, and he said, I was coming back, they were living as if it could happen today, right? And it should be the same for us today. We should live as if Christ could return or that we could meet him at any time. But the reality is, as he says, there will be an extended amount of time. There will be a delay it's also interesting as we ponder here to begin thinking about, well, what happens amidst the delay? I don't know about you guys, but most of us by nature, we don't like to wait for things. We are a microwave society. I want it and I want it now. And what happens once what I want now is not enough for me? I go to something else. I mean, yet again, I mentioned I work with, work with teenagers and I've been working with teenagers for 10 or 11 years. That microwave mentality with this lower genera- these lower generations, it's becoming more and more and more and more rampant. It's always the next thing. It's always the next thing. There's a struggle to be still. You wonder why so many of us struggle with those things I talked about at the beginning, the anxiety, the depression, the discouragement. You know, why we can't, you know, we don't, we don't have confidence. We're self-loathing oftentimes. It's because we don't know how to still and be confident in who we really were meant to be which is in Christ. That's where our refuge, that's where our fullness is ultimately found. But you see that. Jesus even talks about it as he goes. He says that there was going to be trial and tribulation and persecution that were going to come in those final days. What does the evil one want? He comes to steal, to kill, and to what? To destroy. But what does Jesus say? He says, I have come that you may have what? You may have life and life abundantly. The evil one knows what we need most and he wants us to be consumed with everything that we don't need most, right? (laughs) That's what's happening. That's why you continually see in these warnings that Jesus gives and elsewhere in scripture when it talks about remain faithful, stay sober-minded, be alert. Because what do we have? We're prone to wander. We're prone to drift away. There's so many pleasures within the world. There's a thousand other things that we could fixate upon. But there's one thing that leads to life. You know, 
he talks about as, as verse 5 continues, they all became drowsy and slept. This kind of shows a picture of the normal rhythms of life. Now, obviously, the wise ones were able to sleep with confidence, knowing that they would be ready. The ones that were foolish, they were just going to be caught within the rhythm. They would be caught off guard, right? Says, you know, it's even like is referenced in the chapter before, Matthew 24, 38 through 42. It talks about when judgment came in the days of Noah. Says, for as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. The two men will be in the field, one will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. All of us have rhythms in life. Some of us are owned by them. You look up here, those found upon his return, fixed within the rhythms of the flesh, will be shockingly exposed and empty-handed, while those found consumed within the rhythms of his grace will be thrillingly welcomed and eternally kept. If we're defined by the rhythms of the flesh, it is going to be, like I mentioned at the beginning, it's going to be a shocking, rude awakening for us upon his return because we would have been consumed with everything but him. But if we've been living in surrender before him, let me get this straight. It's not, we're not going to be perfect. We are broken. But we can understand who makes us perfect. Jesus does. If we're keeping our eyes on him, there's going to be a thrilling welcoming that will happen. And so we see that. At the midnight, there was the cry, here he is, he's come, come out to meet him. Verse 7, all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. That pictures them jumping out of bed, getting their lamps ready. We see that. It says, and the foolish at this point said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. Well, surprise, you've not been living prepared. Now, the response maybe seems a little harsh because it says the wise answers saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. Now, in the midst of this parable, this isn't Jesus saying, don't share with people, (laughs) don't have grace, but here's what it's picturing. Upon his return, your dealing with him will be personal. You won't be able to look at mom and dad and say, well, hey, my mom and dad were were good people and they were Christians and they went to church. You you won't be able to say, well, didn't you see me in the gathering? I was really faithful. I even taught a class. You can be in the gathering and not be in Christ. That's what we see happening here. It's not going to be like I was telling the kids upstairs this morning. It's not going to be like when you don't study for a test and you get to school and you're like, oh man, I got to study. You could be like I did one time. I was really bad. I cheated in my computer class and I felt really bad about it and I went and told my mom and she made me go tell the teacher I never cheated again. Um, But you can't cheat, right? There's no mooching here. You can't say, well, I'll just get somebody else's answers. Hey, I, I get it now, God. I, I now, you were right. I was, I was denying you, and I didn't, have, you know, I didn't want to put my faith in you. I thought it was all a hoax. It won't be like a second chance where you can be like, okay, well, I'll just, I'll find my way in. No, it will be definite. You don't pass the test apart from Christ. 
He says it. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. He says, I'm the bread of life. He says, I'm the living water. He says, I am the door. I am the good shepherd. He is the way. And at this point, we see, if you don't know him, you're not banking on good works that you've done. You're banking on Jesus Christ. And when you bank on Jesus Christ, guess what happens? This mobilization is going to be a blast. The wedding feast here, it was, this was a big party. Like, we party in our culture at weddings and have a good time. No, this was, a, this was like a feast, and there was singing and dancing, and it was an expected time. That's why, as you think here, what we're going to talk about here in this last point about the consummation, that's why it's, it's so hard to think about missing this. The gravity of this, as we close today, I want the gravity of this to lay heavy on us. Verse 10 tells us, And while they were going to, to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I don't know you. The bridegroom is bringing the ready ones into the, to the banquet. The others are scrambling, trying to figure out, Oh no, now I know this is real. What can I do? How can I gain entrance? You know, I, as I was studying this, it made me think about Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Oof. What this is picturing here as these faithful ones are being brought into this banquet, the door is closed. The others come knocking. They know good and well what is happening on the other side of that door. They know it. There's no, it's not a kind of deal where you maybe see some people gathered somewhere and it looks like they're doing something funny. You're like, whoa, there's some people over there. I wonder what they're doing. I don't know. You go about your way. No, this one will, this will be a, this is a gut punch. And not only does you not get entrance, but it's like, I don't know who you are. That's a gut punch. This is not, yet again, this is personal. Many of us in here, we're, we're used to just mixing in together and just being a fly on the wall. Faith in Christ is, is personal. It's a true commitment. It requires for us to surrender our life to him. And if we're not serious about that, you need, we really need to take some time and take a long, hard look in the window and think about the gravity of us saying, I choose the world over, over Jesus. Our standing with Christ upon his return, let's be reminded of this, that it will not be based on what we have done, but rather on what he has done. Our readiness will be seen within our surrender before him. That's where I ask us this morning, is are you surrendered before him? Are you ready for him to return? You know, as I was thinking back to that tornado, 
back in 2020. I had never been like that close to a tornado where I could come outside the next morning. And many of you may remember some of y'all's homes even experienced and property experienced damage in that. I remember walking outside, I could smell the wood from the trees that had been snapping. I won't ever forget that. It was just, it was a very piercing kind of deal. I knew that night before I needed to prepare. And as soon as that warning came, I got up. I got away from the windows because I knew if that glass comes flying in, not good. <laughs> and these windows are like almost halfway up these windows. I said, I got to get away from those. Where did we go? Brittany and I, we got our baby girl. We went into the middlemost part of that apartment, closed the door to our bathroom, and we hunkered down. We found refuge. You know, I, I fear that Far too often we allow ourselves to be discipled under the pace and the lights of culture rather than in the stillness and refuge of God's grace. Have you found refuge in him this morning? Do you know him? I didn't ask if, oh yeah, I heard the sirens going for the storm. I heard there was a warning, but I just kind of kept sitting by the window. I'm, I'm pretty tough. <laughs> no, have you found refuge This leaves us anxiously, when we do this, it leaves us anxiously enslaved to the fading temporal rather than eagerly awaiting and preparing for the soon approaching eternal. Friends, are we ready for Jesus' return or are we more concerned with getting that next raise perhaps or maybe moving up the ladder at work? So are, we, are we ready for Jesus to return or are we more concerned with bring, binging that next television show or consuming ourselves with the talking heads of network news are we ready for Jesus to return or are we more concerned with spending hours scrolling on social media and looking for yearning for approval of our peers? Are we ready for Jesus to return or are we too in love with the temporal and earthly kingdom to ever take time to consider his heavenly and eternal kingdom? Now is the time for repentance. The door is open right now. The door is open. Jesus is the door. But we just saw that door is not eternally open, right? There's going to come a time where the door will shut. And you will either know him or you won't. Some of you in the room this morning, you, play, you are playing games. You're sitting in these pews every single week. But you go home and your devotional life is zero. The amount of times taken to disciple and invest in others not present. Fruitfulness is not there. But you would, and we're guilty of this so often, but I've been part of the rhythm. I've gone to church for a long time. I know a lot about God. The demons know a lot about God. And they shudder. <laughs> and here we are going on flippantly and casually through life. All of us can be guilty in that in some ways. None of us are perfect, but some of us are bound to it. This morning, as we close, you may need to get right. You may need to repent and give your life to him. Some, of, some others in here, you've never given your life. You're not playing games. You just, you've never entered the arena. You've never surrendered your life to him. The door is open, but it's a personal decision. I can't make it happen. I wish I could. I can't bring conviction upon you. God's word speaks. You respond in faith. For others of us in here, maybe you are chasing after him. You are living prepared and expectant 
for his return. Continue to be sober-minded. Be alert. This is, church, this is life and death stuff. Now is the time for repentance, refocus, restoration, and we can turn to him and find rest, refuge, and plenty. But here's the thing. You never know when you may find yourself realizing you were too late and in the midst of a darkness that never ends. Apart from Christ, there's darkness and death. I believe it firmly with all my conviction. Why would we put our faith in anything else in this world? We see that it's fading away. It does not last. Cling to that which is a living hope, which promise, full of promise and lasting impact. Trust Christ today. I plead with you, don't play games today. Don't be the one that says, I got my lamp, but you don't have any fuel. You're not acting out your faith. You're going through the motions. It's time to wake up. It's time to be ready. May we trust him today as our refuge. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Lord, we need to be challenged. We need to be reminded that you're coming back, that we can meet you today. And thank you, Jesus, that you are the one that makes us ready. You are the one that prepares us. We don't have to climb the ladder to you. You came to us. Help us to cry out and surrender upon you today. Pray these things in your name. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.